Ari Rosenbaum here with another fun-filled episode of that 401k podcast. This topic, we're going to talk about the issues that I see with 401k plan provider contracts. Of course, first things first, that 401k site.com, we got that virtual uh, uh, virtual plan, uh, that 401k conference virtual. Uh, I think it's January 25th, 26th of 2024, as well as live events in um, Arlington and the Bronx, New York, and a special shout out to our friends at Invesco for being a sponsor, as always, for the virtual conference. Uh, always thanks to them for all that uh, they've done over the quite a few years. Um, and of course, go to that foreigncasesite.com for further information, articles, all that kind of stuff, everything you, you need to know. So um, I've been an attorney. Um, Practicing just past 25 years on September 8th. Um, well, I was a licensed attorney for more than 25 years since February of 98, but uh, working as an arrest attorney for 25 years, um, it's for the most part, it's been fun. It's a lot more fun for the past 13 years that I've been on my own. I'm sorry, Lois, but that that's what it was. Um, and, and I think uh, law school, you know, not exactly the greatest of times in my life. Uh, what was very, very useful was to think like a lawyer. That's what they train you for. And, uh, you know, most coursework uh, you find is useless as an ERISA attorney. Um, you know, most of the classes I, I took in law school were, were, were kind of useless for my role as an risk attorney. I, I did take quite a few good classes at uh, Boston University Tax LM degree. Um, but one class that was really good, uh, that I did really well at, was contracts. And uh, it's one of those few, you know, few courses that deal with everyday life, um, you know, evidence and criminal procedure, you know, unless you're a criminal lawyer, that really doesn't turn up or a litigator when it comes to evidence. But, uh, you know, plan provider contracts are, are certainly an issue, uh, and they're certainly an issue in my practice. And obviously, before a plan provider, you know, signs a contract, they should really read it. Um, you know, I've always talked, uh, um, you know, the situation where you don't really know who you're dealing with, you know, um, and I think that it's important um, to vet, obviously, you know, the plan providers that you're dealing with, uh, that they're upstanding people, uh, there's no licensing issues or, uh, issues that the, a good Google search will turn up that is a problematic, you know, uh, I think it's important that if you have plan providers, um, out there, even before reading the agreement, you should check them out. Uh, obviously attorneys, accountants, um, financial advisors are licensed and any problems that, uh, you know, shows up on their contract, uh, I mean, shows up on their licensing, uh, website, uh, that's, that's really important. Uh, you don't have that with, with lawyers, uh, lawyers, for some reason, I, I think it may say, say if you're suspended or not, I, I would know I've never been suspended. I've never had a claim. I've had two complaints against me. Um, both uh, were complaints about uh, personal matters. Uh, people didn't like uh, how I, I treated them after they treated me poorly. 
but they were both rejected. I think one, I never ever heard the complaints and never saw it. And the other one was um, dispensed. Dispense, uh, dispense, uh, but um, I, I think it's important to always check who you're dealing with and if there are any issues to uh, raise it. And of course, reading the contract. It's important to read the contract, even as a kid. Uh, I always read what I signed. Uh, my mother would put out a you know, social security application back in those days. Not every newborn got a social security card. I signed one when I was 13, and I read what I signed. Um, Mrs. Rosenblum, my third and fourth grade teacher, was right. She said I was going to be a lawyer. That way back then, even though my mother, who once claimed that she knew me better than I knew myself, thought I'd be a doctor. Uh, of course, reading contracts was a, a crack that my grandmother, may she rest in peace, made with my brother-in-law, when uh, my brother-in-law, her, her son-in-law, who's my uncle, when she needled him that uh, I read contracts and he didn't. When there was a situation with a, a pool uh, contractor in the summer of 86, he got screwed. He didn't read the service contract, and he was out of luck. Plan sponsors can't afford to go in blindly. It's really an absolute mistake. Uh, obviously, a plan provider could promise you the world, and if they don't deliver, uh, that's a problem, uh, especially when they didn't promise you the moon in the contract. And that happens quite a bit. Uh, we'll do this, we'll do that, we'll do this, we'll do that, and it's not in the contract. And then they'll say, well, we said it, but we didn't, uh, we didn't put it in the contract, so forget about it. Uh, you know, uh, any agreement to hire a plant provider, obviously, in my opinion, is a bargain and acceptance, and the contract should really det detail intricately what the bargain and acceptance is. You know, in the life of 4K plan, um, you're going to end up firing plant providers, one or more. So it's important to understand what you're getting in the contract, what the expectations are, the services provided, the cost, how long the contract's for, as well as how to end the plan provider relationship. And you won't know that until you actually read the contract. So I think it's important to read it to avoid getting a shock. And of course, you know, I would recommend calling an ERISA attorney. Uh, you know, I, I know that people are afraid of attorneys. Attorneys like to make money. We didn't all take a vow of poverty when we went to law school. Um, you know, I think law school is around seventy-five to $80,000 a year all in. Uh, obviously, they need to make money. But I think hiring an ERISA attorney uh, to review contracts is obviously a good idea. Um, you know, ERISA attorneys are very good at, you know, reading things and understanding things. Um, you know, there, there'll be some trickery here and there. Uh, I'll never forget the producing TPA that claimed that... Um, uh, one of my favorite claims is that uh, even though they had a ancillary financial services company that was serving as a registered investment advisor for many of their clients, they claimed they weren't a fiduciary, uh, even though the fiduciary rules said that they were. Um, you know, again, I think people, you know, will maybe if they do hire the hire a general business attorney, but you really need to hire an risk attorney. Uh, general business attorney doesn't really know the intricacies of ERISA, the parameters, the issues, and a good ERISA attorney would would would. And you know, I, again, I worked at that uh, Fakakta law firm, Myers, Wazak, and Klein. 
Uh, Swazi, um, his son was in Congress at one point. Uh, I think when I was there, he was county executive, Tom Swazi, nice guy. Uh, Tom Swazi is one of, uh, I, I really like him as a politician. Uh, one time I did, you know, uh, one time I did, I, I met Tom a couple times. And anyway, last time I saw Tom Swazi was at a uh, Nick game sitting in these Madison suites where they had all this food and it was a great experience. I saw the next take on my clippers and, and Tom, you know, I talked to Tom and all that and he remembered me and asked if I wanted some dessert, which was always great. But Tom's father was Judge Flossie, which was the named uh, partner in the firm. He's since passed away. Good man. Uh, he asked me what, the only time I ever talked to him is one time, uh, you know, the two years that I was there, he came up to me and said, Oh, what do you do? I, and he said, you know, I said, listen, I'm an arrest attorney. Judge Schwazi says, I don't know anything about that. And he just completely walked away from me. He knew what he didn't know. And he didn't know Arissa, and he didn't pretend he was going to know Arissa. So I think it's important for a plan sponsor to hire, obviously, an attorney who knows what they're talking about when it comes to retirement plans. That's just my sense. Um, obviously, you know, uh, I don't think that the non-Arissa attorneys should dabble in the Arissa space. It's just my two cents. They don't understand something. Um, and if they don't understand what they're dealing with, then whatever contract interpretation is, is usually you know, useless. The problem with vagueness and ambiguity is that uh, a lot of plant provider agreements are terrible, terribly written. Uh, I don't know if they were drafted by an attorney or if a plant provider just jotted down some points. Uh, contracts should be clear on the duties of what the plan provider promises to perform as well as a clear delineation of fees and any fiduciary role the plan provider intends to serve. The problem with vague and, uh, vague and ambiguous contracts is that they're actually held against the side that drafted them, which could be a plan, which usually is the plan provider. While that may be a good thing for you, uh, that's only good in the courts, which means you'd actually have to go to court. So years ago, I was dealing with a plan administrator had an annual contract with, annual contract specified that they would do the 5500 and the valuation. Um, I fired them effectively uh, February of 2021, and they claimed, as per the contract, they can't do the work for July 2021, even though we did pay them. Um, you know, I was steadfast, and that, that was one of those two complaints to me as an attorney. They sent one. I, I hurt their feelings, but whatever it is... Um, I, you know, they demanded $80,000 to do the valuation of the 5500s. Uh, they collected $130,000 in fees. I complained to the Department of Labor, and it's two and a half years later, and I still haven't heard from them on uh, what's going on. Vague and ambiguous contracts obviously be interpreted against those who drafted it. But again, what use of it uh, if you don't sue them in court? Um, you know, a, a good contract review will bring up these issues. And of course, Termination fees, deconversion fees, all that kind of stuff, which I still rail against that plant providers deal with. Uh, you know, that's that's certainly an issue. Um, and uh, that's something that uh, I think is still a problem uh, to this day. So, you know, uh, again, firing a plant provider, um, you know, uh, it's an issue when dealing with contracts. You know, with marriage is like hiring a plant provider. You go with the best of intentions. You don't want to talk about uh, when things may end. Um, very interesting in, in Jewish law. 
only a man in Orthodox Jewish law, only a man can give a divorce to a wife. So if a wife wants a divorce, the man doesn't want to give it. They're 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 out of luck. Um, unless the courts, the rabbinical courts, say that the woman is kind of chained because the uh, husband is unreasonable. That doesn't really happen that much. But when my wife and I got married, uh, right before we signed uh, an agreement that said, you know, if things don't go the way we want them to go, uh, then you know I'm going to grant that divorce. Um, it'll be I'll I'll, I'll 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 leave it to mediation. And uh, you know my mother, who always has to think the worst of my wife and all that kind of stuff, she she was taken back by this and this this and that. But you go in the best best of intentions. Um, my wife and I have been married now over 20 years. Things are good. But you never, you know, I, I, I think it's great to plan. You, know, you go with the best of intentions, and like I said, some things don't work out. And that's the same with plan providers. The biggest problem with plan providers is, is termination. That's the issue. Uh, that's the number one complaint that uh, a leading expert in the retirement plan space, one of the most important people in the retirement plan business, who's an advocate for the retirement plan industry, he said to me, Ari, the biggest problem we have in this industry is termination and fighting over fees, of termination fees and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, um, the problem with termination fees is that the TPA is the only provider I know that says, listen, we have these deconversion costs and we want you to pay for it. You know, I'm not going to be Don Quixote and go up against these deconversion fees. It's that This is the reality. Uh, I can't stop it. Um, the problem with these conversion fees, obviously, is that um, they're not really specified in the agreement, in the contract. And uh, that's a problem. Um, you know, years ago, I worked for a TPA, and there was this guy in charge who I couldn't stand, my least favorite person that I ever worked for. And, you know, his, uh, his selection of uh, deconversion fees were dependent on the relationship that we had with the financial advisor. So if this was a plan firing us and this financial advisor had multiple plans with us, they were going to pay, that client was going to pay less in fees than if it was somebody that we didn't, uh, you know, have uh, an issue. So uh, it's it's a problem, obviously, um, that these deconversion fees aren't talked about. They aren't mentioned. There's no guesstimate of what they will be. And so to this day, I said that, you know, I think that uh, plan sponsors really need to fight with that. Um, I think that any type of expectation of collecting fees should come with an idea of how much it can be. Not to the exact dollar, but like a guesstimate. Five to $10,000, whatever it is. I don't want to be in a situation, again, where I had that, you know, TPA, unscrupulous, $180,000 for work they got paid for. Um, you know, I believe that one day the Department of Labor is going to hammer the point home about these deconversion fees and talk about reasonableness. And, you know, I still think that this is one giant loophole when it comes to retirement plans uh, and fee disclosure. It's, it's, it's again, um, you know, TPAs feel like, listen, this is work that they have to do, but, you know, my belief is you're hired to be fired. Uh, it's expected that at one point or another, a client will fire you. And so the cost of deconversion should be put in your fees. That's how I see it. Client fires me, and I've been fired. 
be fired as a 316. I'd be fired as an attorney. It's not personal. It's business. I didn't all of a sudden sock them with fees. Um, I, you know, I, I just don't understand it. Uh, but it is what it is, and I think that, uh, again, uh, you will see one day the Department of Labor hammering the point home about, you know, these deconversion costs and what is reasonable and what is not and what are the expectations that plan sponsors should pay them. So that's it for a kind of short episode of that 4 k podcast. Tune in for next week's episode. And, uh, of course, like I said, again, go to that 4 for further information on all our events. Thanks. Bye.